Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Michael Bryson went missing from a campground near Dorena, Oregon on August 5th, 2020 during a party. He was 27 at the time. It's reported Michael wandered away from the campsite sometime around 4.30 a.m. Some said he was upset when he left, although it's unclear why. His parents, Tina and Parrish, last saw him on August 3rd, 2020, when he stopped by their house before heading to the party at the campground. In December 2020, some of Michael's clothes were located, but Michael was nowhere to be found. Tina and Parrish started the Michael Bryson Foundation after he went missing to bring awareness to missing people and mental health and drug addiction. A Facebook page, Let's Find Michael Bryson, has more than 24,000 members, and I highly recommend checking it out to find out more details about the case. I talked to Michael's parents, Tina and Parrish, right before the third anniversary of his disappearance. Here's my conversation with them. Yeah, no, as I was saying, like, I, I like to, to learn a little bit about, um, you know, who these people are that are missing. And, you know, obviously I don't get to meet them and, and get to know their personality too much. So I'm wondering, can you tell me what your son is like? You know, quiet, quiet loud, funny. What are the personality traits uh, that your son has? All of those. Um, Michael, Michael was an absolute sweetheart. Um, from the time we brought him home um, from the hospital, he was just, he was such a good baby, just calm temper. Um, he was, as he grew up, I mean, he was funny. He he liked to laugh and joke and play tricks on people. Um, and that that side of Michael, that personality, he, he just, he, he was like that his whole entire life. Um, you know, we say Michael never met a stranger and he really, has never met a stranger. Um, he was, he, I won't say he was the life of the party, but when Michael walked into a room, um, it definitely lit up. Um, he made everyone in that room feel 
special. Always had a smile. I mean, if Michael was, if there was something going on with Michael, you didn't know. Um, I mean, he would talk to us, you know, but I'm just talking in general, when you walked into a room or you walked into, you know, his place of employment or anything like that, um, you could not tell that something was bothering Michael. He always put everybody else's um, feelings and, and whatnot um, first, their needs and desires first. So he was a, he was a, a giving person. Um, he, uh, like I said, like Tina said, you know, he, he tried to make everyone laugh. Um, He's very empathetic. Very empathetic. Um, he went on several mission trips um, while he was growing up. He went to Mexico a couple of times. He went to Africa a couple of times. Um, very involved in the community, um, not just church, but sports and, and scouts. Um, anything, anything that was thrown at Michael, he would at least try once. You know, he, he was that kind of a kid, you know, and he, he just tried to make everyone else feel like, hey, this is fun, let's go do this. Um, so, yeah, he, he did he, he did really well in school. I mean, he, he uh, was well-liked by everybody. Um, All-around good kid. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was, when I was reading about him, he sounds like he had quite a bit of hobbies and I, it sounds like music was really important to him oh yes the, the kid like i mean it, we didn't have like one set of genre that we listened to at home i mean we, we were kind of well-rounded we you know the kids would tell you oh they like country but we listen to everything um and michael really took a a, a liking to music and um it was funny because he never really played an instrument per se um it was more of the the EDM type making my own type music with the computer and then the synthesizers and, and whatnot and soundboards and and he actually got pretty darn good at it uh, to the point where he was actually doing some sets you know in town and at friends' house and parties and and that was kind of the I think that was kind of the introduction um, if you will to more of the uh, hardcore uh, recreational type drugs. Um, well, that's one thing we want to say from the very beginning. Um, we've never said that Michael did not have an addiction problem. Um, he did. Um, we found that out after high school. Um, basically, it was after his uh, first African trip. Um, he came home with some some uh, issues, I, wanna, I guess you'd say. Thing. I mean, he didn't talk about the trip for like three months. And before he finally opened up and talked about it a little bit. And I think as a young man, he, he encountered some things that um, was very difficult for him to process. And I think his way of processing was um, recreational drugs. Uh, and that was just the, the beginning of, of his addiction, I believe. And you know, just in, in my mind and in, in Tina's mind, you know, I mean, he did have some um, mental health, you know, issues, but he covered them up very well. And then I think he tried to self-medicate with, you know, with, with uh, marijuana and, and a drinking every now and again. But it wasn't something that really took over his life and, until later. When I was uh, doing research for this, uh, and this could be incorrect, so that's why I wanted to ask you about it. But it seemed like prior to him going missing, 
he was on he was kind of course correcting his life a little bit like it seemed like he was um maybe reaching a new chapter and putting things back together is that you know what were his plans was he was he kind of finding a new path and a new direction and maybe kicking you know some of that addiction uh, issues that he was having um michael had been to rehab twice um and I would say that he, he had had the tools to to um, to get back on track, uh, as well as the support, you know, of his his friends and family. Um, but some of the things that he was dealing with in life, I think, just had a, a stronger pull. Um, but as far as correcting, yes, he was holding down a job um, that he enjoyed. Um, he wasn't, you know, bouncing from job to job to job to job like like ad- some addicts do. Um, he uh, had actually talked to me about going back to school and sharpening up on his math, math skills because he wanted to try and get into an apprenticeship to be an electrician, you know, and those kind of things are not something that someone that doesn't have life goals says. So we finally did see a, a side of Michael that was starting to be a little more responsible and wanting to, to turn his life around. Um, Oh, and one thing I wanted to say about um, addiction, um, one thing that we've learned is that uh, there is no such thing as an addict in, in our minds. What it is, is a, it's a person with an addiction problem. And I think people need to realize that when they see people on the street, um, it, it's not an addict. It's a, it's a person with an addiction problem. That, that's still a person standing there. And... You know, one thing that I think that as society um, addressing mental health issues um, and whatnot, even law enforcement, they can get kind of jaded and hardened about it, you know, and and it's time that we re-educate these people and let them know that these are people with mental health issues that we need to address and not just a, not just a person that's an addict. That's really, really well said. And I couldn't agree more with you. Is it safe to say then that prior to Michael going missing, he was he was still kind of struggling with the with the you know with the substances and, and mental health, or you know it sounded like he was. I guess what I'm saying is that it, it probably was a little bit of a factor when he was going going to that that party and that rave. Like he was still kind of battling those um, those issues. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. he was still battling. Yeah, it was, and you know, and like I said, we'll be the first ones to admit that you know that's where Michael was at, and and he would too, you know. Um, he 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 liked to party, he, he liked to have a good time, but he also liked to get away and and not deal with the pain and and the helplessness that he was feeling, and that was a way. Um, he you know going to the rave, you know, he was invited to play. Um, at a set, and that's basically why he went. Um, he did send a text message to his girlfriend and tell her that he had a bad feeling about going, that uh, he was going to run into somebody. He might run into somebody he wasn't vibing with, and she responded with, well, I don't know this crowd that you're going with. Um, if you don't feel about it, you should probably just come home or stay home and and he's like, oh, I'll be surrounded by like 40-some people. I'll, I'll be okay. Um, that text haunts her to this day. It haunts all of us, you know, and, and that's, 
I I always tell people, you know, you've got you've got a built-in intuition for a reason, and God was telling you something, and you need to listen. Um, but he went. Um, he also sent a text telling his friend that he was going to be home Tuesday morning. He was only going to go up for one night and do his, a couple sets and come home. Um, so he had every intention on, on coming home Tuesday morning. Um, something changed his mind and he decided to stay. And some context uh, for the listener and for myself, this was from what I understand, like kind of like a week long party out in the woods in a remote area where there was going to be like a party bus with drinks and drugs and music, like basically everything you would have at, at a rave. And initially you're saying Michael's plan was to just go for a day or two, do the set and come back. What was he, what was he like? Cause I know he saw you a couple days before he left. Like, what was he like? And were you concerned? Like, did he talk about the party or did he kind of, you know, say it was more of a get together? Like what were, what were your thoughts when he, when he left to go to this, uh, this rave? You know, he, um, he was in a great mood. I mean, he actually came um, on Monday, the day, the day they left. Okay, and on the 3rd. And he uh, came out to the house because he wanted some gas money. And I told him I had a couple hours worth of work he could help me out in the backyard with. And I'd be glad to, you know, put money in the tank. And so he came out and helped me in the yard for a couple hours. And Tina made breakfast burritos. This was one of his favorite breakfasts. And... It just so happened that uh, Crystal was here also, his sister. So all four of us were at home. And um, like I say, he worked for a few hours and came in and visited for a little bit while she finished breakfast and and uh, did his normal, uh, well, well, actually, let me rewind a little bit. While we were out working, you know, he told me, he's like, Dad, I'm going to be going to a, you know, a party out in the woods. There's not going to be any cell reception. I don't want you to worry, but, you know, I'm going to be home and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, and. And that was all I knew, you know. I knew he was going to be somewhere with no cell reception, but not to worry. Um, and anyway, so he comes in, we have breakfast, and we're visiting a little bit. And I'm in one living room, and Tina's in the kitchen, and Krista was in the family room. And he went up and gave Krista a big hug and and told her, you know, I love you. And told Mom, you know, thanks for breakfast, love you. And came into the other living room where I was at, and bent down over the couch and gave me a hug and said, love you, pops. See you, you know, see you later. And walked out the door. When do you find out that he's missing? Uh, and, and how do you find out? So August 5th at about four thirty, five o'clock ish in that vicinity. Um, Tina got a phone call at work asking, I actually got a text message from Natalie, and that was Michael's ex-girlfriend. Um, she asked me, because um, I was just finishing up my, my day at work, and she asked me if I had seen Michael or heard from him. And I said, no, why? Um, and she said, well, I guess that he went to a party up outside of Cottage Grove, um, you know, up in the woods, and... He got upset about four o'clock in the morning and walked away and nobody had seen him since. And she said that there was a group of people that came back into Eugene to, you know, try to find out if he got a ride home with somebody and, he, you know, if he was, if he was, we didn't know, like if he had got a ride to a friend's house, if he was at his house. So 
I hurried up and got in the car and, and came home and we just threw some stuff together in the car and headed, headed up to, to a hobo campground. And we actually made a, a missing person report on our way up there. It was kind of hard to do that because, you know, we were not with him. So we don't know, you know, we didn't know the last thing he was wearing. And, um, you know, we didn't know the circumstances around him going missing. Um, we did not get up there till almost 730 that night. So he had been, he had been missing. 13 hours before we. About 13 hours before we had, we had found out about it. And when we arrived, um, Tina called her brother, who is uh, a police officer in, in Eugene, and told him, you know, I have no idea what's going on. Michael's been missing for, you know, over 12 hours. I need your help. Um, he followed us up to Hobo, and we, you know, none of us had ever been there. We had no idea what we were driving into. And when we got up there, search and rescue was there. Um, but people were just kind of hanging out, not doing anything, you know, drinking, smoking, not a care in the world, uh, no sense of panic, urgency, nothing. Um, and the search and rescue gentleman, um, we went up to his car or his truck, excuse me, and asked him, you know, where they were at, what was going on. And he's like, well, I have interviewed a few people and I don't see anything going on, you know, out of, out of, uh, out of character or out, you know, from behind a party and whatnot. And he said, um, we'll probably find him, you know, hunkered over a log or a stump, you know, passed out. Um, he didn't suspect foul play. He didn't suspect foul play, you know, all this stuff, you know, and, and, you know, and we're looking around and, you know, we had no idea what to think, what to do, nothing. And there was a, a core group of, kids that came up to us and and this woman who was supposed to be um, in charge of uh, everything and they assured us that the, you know, the only thing that they had up there was alcohol and, and marijuana and and, um, and maybe some molly and that was it and everything was you know under control and they'd been out searching for Michael and they drove 20 miles one way and and you know, 20 miles the other way, and all this stuff, and they they just didn't know what was going on, and they thought maybe he caught a ride with somebody into town, and and you know they've done everything that they knew how to do, and um, that was it. Um, at any given time, we found out later um, that evening. At any given time, there was uh, probably 60 people there. Um, ranging from Eugene and Portland, um, some people that we we call them upriver, the the locals from Cottage Grove, Garena area. Um, once they heard that there was a raid going on or a renegade going on up there, they all went up there because they knew there was drugs and parties. And this renegade was supposed to go on from Sunday evening all the way through the end of the week. Um, then uh, the next morning, well. That night, Tina went home with her brother. Um, they drove home, and we got some stuff, or they got some stuff. I stayed there and, and talked with a few more people, and and uh, her brother came back up. I spent the night there in the car, 
And the one thing that they kept harping on was, you know, Michael left the bus at, at between 4 and 4.15, um, and we had no idea which way he went because it was dark. Well, it wasn't dark. It was a full moon. Um, I woke up at 4.15 Thursday morning, got out of my car, and you could see just like it was daylight, unless you were under the trees. If you were under the trees, it was dark. But... Looking around camp, you could see where the bus was parked. You could see, you could see the road. So them telling us that they had no idea which way, which way Michael went was BS, um, in my mind anyway. Um, because I'm looking around, I'm thinking, okay, it, it, it's light enough that I can see in front of me. I could walk around without a flashlight. Um, then that next morning, more people showed up. Search and Rescue came back. A lot of volunteers came up from... Uh, Harrisburg and Junction City, um, some of Michael's friends from uh, Eugene and Portland came up, and as this was going on, the party was dispersing. By Thursday, probably at noon, at least half of them were gone. And by Friday morning, all of them were gone. Um, they'll tell you that they were in fear of their life because, you know, everyone was threatening them. Like, you know, where Michael's at. Um, nobody was threatening anybody. We just, we were trying to find Michael. Um, we were also, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to roll back a little bit. We were also told again about the, the, the drugs, you know, there was nothing there. There was just alcohol, marijuana, a little bit of Molly. Well, there was an older gentleman that was camped right across the street with his wife and baby. And he came over to me Thursday, Thursday morning and told me that the kids are, he goes, they're lying to you, Mr. Bryson. He said, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to gain. He said, I was over here dropping acid with these kids. And he said, those two picnic tables that are back behind the bus there, he said, they were covered, not one bit of wood you could see, and it was all covered with every kind of drug you could, you could want. He said, there was everything here. And he says, they were, it, this is what they were doing was, you know, they were, they were partying, they were having fun, they were making money. And uh, I said, okay, thank you. And again, you know, this guy had no, he had no affiliation with the party. He had no affiliation with us. You know, he had no reason to lie to us at all. Um, come to find out later, he spoke the truth. People started coming out and saying, yes, there was more drugs there than what we were told. Um, and that uh, the timeline as far as when Michael walked off the bus, there's no cell service, so I have your cell phone unless you're taking pictures. None of these kids this generation wear watches. So how do they know it was 4 o'clock when Michael walked off the bus? The last supposedly sighting of Michael was about 2.30 when someone arrived from work uh, Wednesday morning at 2.30, and she said that Michael came up to the back of her car and asked if she needed help unloading some stuff. So that was the last you know, witness other than the, the two or three that said that Michael, that Michael um, left at four o'clock. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Do we know, mm -hmm. do you know, like the altercation on the bus, that seems odd to me. Like, do we know anything more about that? Like who it was with? Like you kind of mentioned earlier that there was someone maybe going to be there that uh, Michael had tension with. Uh, like, is, do you have any more information about what may have happened, you know, or is that even real? Like, or was that a story that was made up? Like what's, what, what do you understand from that so-called altercation on the bus? 
the only thing that we know is what we've been told by the two gals that were on the bus with Michael. And that was, you know, they said that they were just sitting there talking and all of a sudden Michael looked at them like he had a, like a mental snap or a personality snap or whatever and said, what, you don't want me here? And he just got off the bus and walked off. Um, I can tell you that Michael's not confrontational. Um, I've, I've only seen Michael confrontational one time and that was because he was protecting a friend. Um, he, he's not a fighter and he would walk away from, you know, something before he would be involved in something. Um, but we got conflicting stories yeah. about, you know, whether there was an altercation or whether there wasn't. Um, so, I mean, at this point, I, I, I guess we would say we really don't know because we weren't there. Um, we were also told a young man showed up around that same time on a motorcycle um, at around four o'clock. Um, now we don't know if that was prior to Michael walking off the bus or after Michael walking off the bus. We don't, we're not sure, but, um, who shows up at a renegade slash rave at four in the morning and then leaves at seven or seven thirty in the morning. He was there literally three to three and a half hours. So as an outsider looking in, coming from Grant's Pass, no less, um, and riding all the way there. That is someone who is either delivering more paraphernalia, drugs, and or picking up from the previous deliveries um, or coming up to make sure that he got what was, you know, his. We have no idea. But to me, in my mind, the timing is just really coincidental that that was the time that Michael went missing. That's also the time that this young man showed up what? and only staying, like I said, for three hours, three and a half hours. Yeah. What did the, like, I, I, did the police arrive at scene at some point? Did you talk to them? Like what, what did they think of the situation? Um, other, Friday. Uh, it was Friday morning, I believe is when the, the Lane County, uh, sheriff's uh, detective showed up and they talked to a few people that were, you know, that was still there, that which was not very many. There was only like maybe 10, if that Friday morning, um, walked around, took some pictures. Um, I believe was the big bus still there Friday morning. Yeah. The, the large bus was still there Friday morning. So they, they, left Friday afternoon. they, they looked around the bus, you know, Friday morning when they were there and, and, uh, well, looked around, meaning they just kind of walked through it. They didn't, they didn't uh, really go through it um, because they didn't have a search warrant or anything, but they, they did give them permission to walk through. Um, uh, they just, like I said, they just asked us some questions. They asked them some questions and they kind of looked around and, and that was the extent of it. A majority of the organized searching and tips being brought in, um, questioning, however you want to say it, was done by um, the family and uh, search and rescue um, at the very beginning. Um, we had uh, probably, we were there 19 days. We were there 19 straight days. Search and rescue was there on both weekends that we were there. They were there off and on the whole time we were there. Um, they would bring in, you know, 
anywhere from six to, you know, 20 volunteers going through the, you know, going through things and whatnot. But we, we would have at any given time, we probably had close to 200 volunteers that would come in. So we would set up like a search station where we had a table where people would check in and check out. We would send them in different coordinates and different roads and different trails and different streams. And, um, but yeah, majority of all this basically fell in the family's lap. Um, the first, uh, I don't know. I feel the first probably eight months of the investigation was more, as far as law enforcement was concerned, they gathered information, they gathered tips, but it wasn't a, in their mind, it wasn't a foul play or there was no foul play. Um, it was just a drug addict that got strung out and a hunter will find him in six months. That was the mindset. Um, after everything that we had seen and heard and tips that came in, we knew different. Um, and that, that was kind of a hard thing for us to swallow, you know, trying to convince them to put more time and energy, you know, into the case. And we were, we were told though, by search and rescue and, and by, you know, Lane County Sheriff's department that Michael's case is one of the biggest cases as far as missing people are concerned in Lane County history, as far as man hours that have been devoted to it um, and everything. So I have to give them, you know, hats off for that. But again, I, I think the mindset of um, individuals need to change a little bit when they're out looking for certain. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So before we get into the tips, like before we get into the tips, because I do want to talk about what came in and, and how, you know, I think you have a very strong, you have very strong thoughts on what may have happened to your son. But what was that initial search like with search and rescue and volunteers? Like, did was 
did anything get found in the woods? Like, what was there anything to go on, or was it just that people scoured and found out in the woods and, and didn't find anything? No, we had um, we had drones, we had um, cadaver dogs. Um, like I said before, you know, we had at any given time over two hundred people, you know, searching every day for Michael. Um, trails. I mean, it's it's very uh, dense. Um, treacherous, steep. Um, there's mines. There's there's holes. You know, like like air shafts for the mines. Um, so people have to be extremely careful up there. Um, there there's just so much area where anything could happen. Anything can just you know you could walk off and not be found for quite a while. Then you have to incorporate the animals. Um, that are up there. So with all that that was going on, I really feel that we scoured that area to the best of our ability and search and rescue's ability um, looking for Michael. Um, Michael was not an ambitious young man, um, so Michael would not be the person that would go up a hill and hike up a real steep hill. Um, even if he was on something, Michael would walk downhill. <laughs> he would not walk, he would not walk uphill. Um, so, you know, that kind of ruled out a few things. I mean, we still had volunteers that were climbing these, these, I don't want to say cliffs, but they were like really sharp, well, really steep inclines and some cliffs, but like billy goats. I mean, hats off to these guys that, I mean, they did an awesome job helping us with that. But one thing I want to I want to touch base on is the creek. We had um, three separate teams that went from Champion Creek all the way down to where the houses are, um, which is about a seven mile on the road. The creek is probably a little longer, but we had three separate teams that had went down through every bit of that water. And um, search and rescue also had teams that went down in in wetsuits and and whatnot through the water. So that whole area, the creeks and everything, I can pretty much tell you was scoured very, very well. Um, One tip that we did get in December, um, we were actually down in a curtain area following a tip. And while we were down there, the very next weekend, we got a phone call that someone had spotted something down by the creek, up by Hobo area where we had searched. And they, they called us immediately, you know, and then, and then we called the detective in search and rescue. And we all met in uh, Cottage Grove and drove up together with this gentleman who found, you know, the items. And we pulled over and and we were on the road looking and, and, um, you could see from the road, um, that those were, you know, definitely something that was there. Um, search and rescue and the, and the detective, uh, went across, they had to cross the Creek and go up the bank a little bit to retrieve the items. They brought them back and Tina and I were able to ID them with 100% certainty that they were Michael's. We can't release at this point what they were, 
But what I can tell you with 99.9% certainty, those items were not there when we were there searching for 19 days. So items that were Michael's that you were able to see and confirm were his, were found. And and you're saying this is like pretty easy to see from the road. Like it, it, it wouldn't have been able to, like no one would have missed it. You know, it wouldn't have been um, maybe under some leaves or branches or something like that. Like it sounds like maybe it was planted there. Exactly. Okay. Um, now I, I, I'm, I hunt, I hike. I mean, I'm out in the woods a lot. And I know that the, the seasons change and the foliage changes and leaves drop. And I, I get all of that. And I know what we saw in August. Um, I, know, I, I talked to people who I know physically walked around that area. Um, and they both said those items were not there. Um, so... If you're asking me, do I think they were planted? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I believe they were planted there to either draw us back up river because we were getting close to something where we were searching at prior or someone was just, just messing with us. Being evil. Just being evil. I guess, yeah, there's no other word for it. Just being evil. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you weren't maybe sure at first what had happened to, to your son. And then as tips information came in you know it sounds like you are now leaning towards you know foul play being involved and i know it's an ongoing investigation and you might not be able to share everything that you know or think but what can you share about maybe your well first of all about the tips and and other information that came in beyond the the items of michael's that were found uh in december of 2020 and, you know, what is what is both of your theories? Like, do you have a theory that you can share about what you think happened based on the information that you have? Because it seems to me like um, may, maybe this isn't accidental. Correct. Um, so what we do know is that um, the people up the uh, people at the party um, puddled Michael. And um, puddling for those of, uh, for those people that don't know what that means, that's when you intentionally give someone an amount of acid that will overdose them to the point where they either lose their mind or they just have no idea what's going on. Um, we do have, we, we do know that that happened to Michael. Um, now what happened after that fact, that's what we don't know. Um, did they panic? not realizing the good Samaritan law and dispose of Michael. Did Michael get puddled and walk off the bus, not knowing who he was, where he was, what the hell was going on? wander out in the road and then something else happened to Michael while he was on the road by somebody else. Those are the things that we don't know. We get tips that support both of these scenarios that Michael was overdosed. They panicked, um, got rid of the body. We've got tips that, you know, Michael got hit on the road by a car. Um, they panicked and hid the body. Um, 
We've had tips that Michael walked into a camp where there was someone, several people high, and you know you mix someone who's being puddled and someone who's high, and that's like you know adding fuel to the fire. And but we don't know if that's one hundred percent accurate and if that's what happened. Um, so there's 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 several scenarios that are out there. Unfortunately, the tips that we get support both of the scenarios. Um, do we do we think there was foul play? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we also believe that this case should still, uh, after this amount of time, should not be a missing persons case. It should have. When Michael's items were found and where they were found, how they were found, how they were found, um, his case should have been moved up to a homicide case. But they are telling us without a body and or without a crime scene or a weapon or a weapon that it will remain a missing persons case. An active one, I hope, right? Oh, yeah. Michael's got some very tenacious parents and a sister. This will not go inactive. The individual who spotted Michael's items uh, in December of 2020, like, is that person, like, did you think that that person, like, legitimately stumbled across them? Or is that someone who is maybe a little suspect as well? Maybe you can't speak to that, but I'm just curious if you know, who found those items and, you know, if they were, maybe they were the ones who planted them. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we can, we can definitely address that. Um, uh, the person that found these items, um, he was involved in this search early on. Um, we don't think that he was involved in any way. Um, he was, he was, um, actually we had a search after those items were found and he, you know, he, he would just bring his dog up and, um, he wanted nothing more than our family to have closure. And, uh, we found out a couple of weeks ago that, um, that he has passed away. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And so... He told his he told his fiance that uh, he really wanted the Brysons to have closure, and every every day that he wasn't working, if he was in that area, he was searching for Michael. He was that dedicated. Um, but unfortunately, um, life had thrown him some things he couldn't handle anymore. And that's one of the things that we want to talk about later about um, mental health. Um, and a reason that we uh, started the foundation was to bring awareness to um, the issues of mental health. And, and everyone, ha- everybody has some form of, of mental health. Um, it's not a negative um, stigma. That uh, It's just something that we need to address. And as a society, we need to to reach out and, and help each other and, and realize that, um, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, we need to, yeah, we need to do better. 
We need to do better to reaching out to people and, and, and not putting on the fake smile um, because we lost, I feel, we lost a very intricate person in Michael's army when, when that happened. Well, let's, let's talk about the foundation then, because uh, I wanted to ask about that and all the work that you're doing, and, and you just touched on it. Obviously, you know, breaking down the stigma of mental health is a big part of that. You also, uh, I believe, host events. Like, can you tell me what the foundation does, like how you started it? Like, it sounds like an incredible initiative. Um, we're still trying to, <laughs> we're still getting our feet underneath us, <laughs> but, um, but our, our main goal with the foundation um is, like I said, to, to bring awareness of, of mental health because mental health and addiction go hand in hand. Um, there's, you know, they, they just, they do, they just go hand in hand. Um, and when you have people that are dealing with mental health and you have people that are dealing with addiction um, and they get thrown into a situation, um, they can disappear. Um and it doesn't always mean, you know, it has to be a party or it has to be, I mean, it could be anything. You know, anybody can have that mental break and just disappear. Um, so really bringing that to people's forefront, you know, and talking about it and and having those tough conversations um, is really one of our goals. Um, the other goal, of course, is to help other families find loved ones. Um, we've been there. Um, we're doing it today. Um, we're still doing it. Um, we're learning as we go every day. We learn new things. Um, so we want to be a tool as a foundation for people to reach out and say, this just happened. What do I do? Um, so a, a perfect example, it was just uh, two days ago, we had a young man disappear from Harrisburg and um, family reached out to me, and I went and sat with, with uh, Grandma and Dad for a few minutes, and, and I was able to give them um, a book and, and basically, you know, tell them this is what we did not do that you need to do, um, gave them some pointers, and, and um, was basically said, here's my number. You need anything, you call. You know, um, we've got drones. We've got people with dogs that are, you know, that to our disposal. Um, we can help organize searching, whatever you need to do. Um, social media is huge. Um, Michael's page, uh, let's find Michael Bryson has almost 25,000 followers worldwide. Um, so that page is being used as well as the website, but more so the page as a way to get information out when someone does, be, you know, is missing. Um, we do go through each one of them and make sure that, you know, they're legit. We ask them to get um, case, number. case number from the police or sheriff's, you know, the sheriff's department. Um, and then uh, we try and filter out, you know, some of the um, runaways, you know, from legit missing people. And I don't, I don't want to say that runaways don't matter because they do. Um, but in my mind, and I can think for, or speak for Tina as well. If they're running away, they're choosing to be missing. Um, it's not like they're truly a missing person. So 
we we try and not have runaways on Michael's page per se. Um, and then the website that we have started to form is a way of uh, people to go get tools as far as mental health issues, um, addiction issues. Um, our goal is to have a little handout, not flyer, but a pamphlet type thing that we can get to all the search and rescue and sheriff's departments that basically tell them this is what you do the first six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, um, you know, and then leave the rest of it blank so they can write notes. Because when Michael went missing, we had no idea what we were doing, how to do it. We were writing tips on receipts in the glove box, paper towels, napkins, and of course, half of them got blown away, thrown away, <laughs> you know, so we only thought we were going to be there a few hours. We had no idea, you know, that we were going to be there for 19 days. And we, we had no idea we would still be doing this almost, you know, three years. Um, you know, things like, you know, taking pictures of cars and license plates, getting everyone's names and phone numbers. I mean, these are things that you don't think about because you're in panic mode of where is my loved one? And um, so we want to be able to offer those kind of tools to people to, and and be kind of a, ground for them because at that point in time your emotions are all over the board that's in, that's incredible uh that's amazing that the yeah i mean i can't imagine um how much comfort you must bring to to other families who who have loved ones that are missing because i like you said uh, it's not something you can really prepare for uh ahead of time you don't want to prepare for it ahead of time uh so mm-hmm. I, what your foundation do, is doing is incredible you mentioned the the public being engaged with this, obviously on the Facebook page as well. Um, you said you've had a lot of tips come in. I'm just wondering if there are people listening and they think they you know have some relevant information that might be able to help. Like, should they contact you? Should they contact you and the police? Like, what's the what's the best method for them to get in touch with uh, helpful information? Um, case number right there. The uh, I tell people, you know, it, any way that they they can send a tip in to do it. Um, our phone numbers are, you know, all over Facebook and <laughs> the website. Um, they can call us directly. Um, they can call the uh, Lane County Sheriff's Office, their tip line. Um, the case number is 20-5286 if they want to call in anonymously. Um, and, you know, one thing I want to I want to tell people out there is, do not be afraid to call in a tip. Um, number one, um, like I said, you can do it anonymously. Number two, if you do happen to talk to Tina or myself, we've heard it all. We've heard every worst case scenario there is. So there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to shock us or make us break down or anything like that. Um, we've, we've heard it all. And one bit of advice that we got from a, a woman whose son has been missing for five years was as these tips come in and you write these tips down, do not dwell on those tips until you have hard evidence that proves that tip. Otherwise you will go crazy thinking Michael did this or Michael did that, or this happened to Michael, Michael, you know, felt this you, you you can't sleep at night if you if you go to bed thinking that 
So until we have the actual hard proof of what happened to Michael, all we can do is put our heads on our pillows and be thankful that Michael is no longer fighting his demons, that he is peace. And that uh, when Michael did pass, he he passed peacefully with, you know, he didn't feel anything. And we are very blessed that we had the 27 years with him that we had. Um, I want to end on this note, uh, and it's what do you think needs to happen for this to be solved i mean it sounds like i mean you've kind of already said it that people need to come forward is it a case of maybe people at that party uh deciding to to make a phone call and share some information is is that something that would be extremely helpful in this in this case absolutely whether it's someone who was at the party or someone who was on the road or at a surrounding camp area that uh, saw something or heard something there's just those there's just a couple pieces of the puzzle that we're missing. And unfortunately, those they're the big pieces. But once we get... If you know anything about Michael Bryson's disappearance, please reach out to the Lane County Sheriff's Office at 541 682 4150. Select option one and reference case number 20-5286. You can also get in touch with Michael's parents through the Facebook page, Let's Find Michael Bryson. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show appreciation, you can buy me a coffee at the link in the description. If you want to support the podcast on a monthly basis, you can head to the Patreon. For $5 a month, you can add and sponsor free episodes exclusive content, and early access to all new episodes of the podcast. If you want to support the podcast for free, you can leave me a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For those of you who have bought me a coffee, subscribed to the Patreon, or left me a review in the last few weeks, thank you. Your support goes a long way to keeping this podcast going. Thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast.